Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, all with you on this Friday afternoon. Hope everybody is doing well, staying safe, and staying healthy. The phone number, if you want to get in touch with us in chat, is 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. You can also send in your questions online. Go to Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions and you can submit your questions that way or just go to Twitter hashtag Giants Chatter send it to any one of our usernames at Schmelk S-C-H-M-E-E-L-K Lance Meadow M-E-D-O-W and at Giants W-F-A-N which is Paul Dottino Paulie Dots how are you my friend it's raining I imagine no walk today uh no actually I just got done with my five did you get wet no I did not Congratulations. Yeah, no no rain clouds above uh, my neighborhood right now. But I will tell you, John, when the uh, weather person said that the heat index in New Jersey and the New York area is going to reach potentially 115 over the next several days. Oh, is that true? That didn't make me feel very good. Oh, boy, yeah, that is that is not great. Okay, Mr. Meadow, how are you? I am doing very well. Cloud covering in New York City as we update the weather across the metropolitan area. I'm sure our listeners scattered across the country well, Lance, are now feeling very good that they know that information. I want to give Paul an opportunity to, to get his you know weather reporting you know up to par <laughs> for the preseason and, and well hopefully <laughs> yeah, the preseason and at least the regular season. Yeah. You know, and, and that's going to be real tricky for you, Paul. You know, one of your big things at these games yes. is walking on the field, getting the it weather, is. feeling the turf. I don't know if, if you're going to make me go down to the field and, like, videotape it for you, but that's going to be a big challenge for you this year. It's a, it's an immense challenge. You know, I, I know that uh, the, the rules and regulations have not been set in stone yet as to what the broadcast teams are going to be allowed to do, but I think it's pretty logical to assume that we will not get access to the field, and I think, uh, you know, the, the turf people will be very happy because I won't be grading them on a weekly basis anymore. Yeah, I think everyone at the stadium is going to be happy, to be yes. honest with you. <laughs> Unfortunately, that means everybody at Paul's house is going to be mad. So. Oh, my. <laughs> they have to make the ultimate sacrifice, unfortunately. Yes, they have to be yeah. around Paul, which is which, 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 <laughs> what, what nobody wants to be. They've been trying to kick me out for weeks anyway. You mean years? Yeah. <laughs> so is that what you're saying? Basically, Paul, that means that the best day or the best moment of their day is when you go for your power walk, essentially? They love it, but so do I, too. So it's Well, of course. Right. So it's a win-win, then. All right, so we definitely sadly we don't have a lot of news going on. We, no. we you know the, I think the owners are supposed to have some type of call or meeting later on Friday. Maybe we'll get something out of that um, as the owners and players try to figure out how they're going to proceed here as the clocks tick. Uh, coaches are starting to return to their facilities in preparation for rookies who can report early next week, and then the veterans, of course, on the 28th. So the clock's ticking without you know a, a firm agreement in place. So we'll have to see. You know how this goes. We're all guys. We don't have any information for you. We're just waiting and seeing and reading the media reports, just like everybody else. So uh, don't call and ask us because we're gonna say, well, what did Albert Breer say? What did Tom Pelissero say? What did Adam Schefter say? What did Ian Rappaport say? Uh, what did Pro Football Talk say? They we have the same information they do. So you know what, John? There's one big thing happening today, though. The Players Association and the league are having another powwow today right. to try to sort through some of these things. And so I do think it's possible that by the end of the Saturday afternoon we may hear something from somebody or at least some kind of leak uh, that may give us a little bit more information I don't think there's going to be a lot but I wouldn't be surprised if they advance the story just a tad yep as I mentioned I, I guess I should have included that when I meant ownership call I meant they're going to have a chat there so yeah yeah 100% correct so hopefully we'll get some 
word on that. So I figure the best way to use today's show then, rather than speculating on what the season's going to look like, would be to kind of take a look at some big picture questions for the Giants this season. And I've plucked some from the 20 questions in 20 days. Others uh, I've kind of just plucked off the top of my head uh, for things that we can discuss off the top of the show. So I'll start with this, guys. And this is, I think, you know, a big thing as we move forward here. What is your X factor for the season? It can be a player. It can be the way the team's going to play. It can be a statistic. It can be anything you want. What is the X factor for the Giants this season that will determine whether or not they are in the playoff hunt on, say, Thanksgiving? Paul, let's start with you. Well, I will simply go with the level of defense. Uh, I could pick some other things and combo it, but I'm not going to cheat. Well, you got to be a little more specific. You can't just say defense. you got to pinpoint well, on an area well, of the defense or yeah, something. What, what, I, what I will say is that the defense is going to have to be somewhere near the middle of the pack in points allowed per game. If they can do that, I think the Giants will have uh, some, some really good things to talk about down at the home stretch. But if they can't get near the middle of the pack in points allowed per game, it's going to be difficult for this team to uh, to contend. What would you say is the lowest they could be for you to feel decently confident about their prospects? I'd say you have to go, you're going to have to be in the vicinity of 21 points a game. If you're giving up 24 a game, that's too many. I know it sounds like a little, it's a field goal a game, but you know in in the NFL we all know that a great percentage of games are decided by one score or less. So in my mind, you know, in, in, in the Parcells era, we used to talk all the time that if you held your opponent under 17 a game, you knew you were going to be a contender. But that was then. This is a different league. I even know that. Uh, too much passing, too much offense, uh, too many points. I think nowadays, you know, you'd like to be under 20 a game. I think if the Giants can be, let's just say, under 22 a game, be somewhere in the area of 21, 21 and a half, I think they can be in the conversation during the second half and of the season. You would say from a ranking perspective, no worse than 20th? You think yeah, 20th? You, have to be, you have to be in the middle third, in the middle grouping. I okay. don't necessarily know that you have to be number 16, All which right, would be so, the first of the, of the second level. So middle third would put you tw- between 21st and 12th, give or take, somewhere in that area. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more concerned about the, the number than I am the ranking. But, yes, you'd have to be in the middle third of the cluster. Okay. Lance, how about you? Well, first, I just want to piggyback off of Paul's point because my emphasis is going to be defense, too. I'll be a little bit more specific. But just to give you numbers because I think that's important for perspective, the Seahawks gave up just under 25 points per game last season. That was the lowest amongst all the playoff teams, just to give you a ballpark figure. Now, the Chiefs and the Niners, Kansas City – gave up just over 19 a game. San Francisco was just below them at 19.4. So, you know, that just gives at least our listeners an idea of where you really need to be if you not only want to make the playoffs, but you want to make a serious run. I'll take it a few steps further than Paul. I'm not looking at so much the scoring. I'm looking at the semblance of a pass rush. And I'm not just going to focus on sacks, guys. I'm talking about quarterback pressures, disruptive plays. You can throw all of those statistics into one grouping. That's the X factor this season. Clear, cut, and dry. There's a young secondary. There's a lot of guys entering just their second years in the league. They have not had a lot of time on the field together within the confines of this new scheme. Patrick Graham hasn't really had a good feel for this group from a physical standpoint. The pass rush is going to determine 
to Paul's point, the outlook of this defense. And if you want to get even more specific, Kyler Fackrell, O'Shane Zimenez, those are two guys along with Lorenzo Carter. Those three guys, two of those three to me have to make a statement this season. It's not just sacks, it's just being consistent playmakers. If two of those three answer the call, and I know Marcus Golden is still a wild card right now, depending on what happens with his status, but let's deal with guys that are actually on the roster. Two of those three guys have to emerge, have to answer the call, and have to give opposing offenses a reason to either double or take the attention away from those guys. Those are the things to me that have to happen to get to the level that Paul's talking about with respect to the scoring defense. All right, I'm going to give you two then because I want to do one kind of addendum onto what Lance just said. And that is, you know, the pass rush is obviously effective with the pass defense, right? And one number, and I've mentioned this on the show before that I've mentioned a lot, is passing yards allowed per play. And if you look at that stat last year, the bottom eight teams in the league, so that's the bottom quarter, right, ranked 25 to 32, None of those teams made the playoffs, and six of those eight teams selected in the top ten of the draft. So if you're not good in that area, you're going to be a bad football team. Last year, the Giants ranked 29th. They gave up 7.6 passing yards per play. The teams in there with them in that bottom third category, I'll put them in order, Bengals, Raiders, Dolphins, Cardinals, Lions, Falcons, Jaguars. None of those good teams last year. Nope. So you got to get out of that bottom third. You got to get into that twentieth. You know, you you get to twenty first. There's the Seahawks. You get to you know eighteenth. There's the Packers. You get to nineteenth. There's they're the Titans. So you know you get into areas where okay, you can survive there, right? So the Giants need to get to an area where they can survive. And I can't believe Lance didn't mention this one. So I, I'm gonna have to bring it up at the end. Look, the other one is very. Very, very simple. It's takeaways and turnovers, specifically turnover ratio and turnovers. Giants, in terms of takeaways last year, they weren't great, but you could live with where they were in terms of the number of takeaways they had. But their giveaways were simply way too high. The Giants last year had the third most giveaways in the league with 33, and they were minus 17 in net turnover ratio, which was the tied for the worst number in the league with the Chargers. You simply cannot survive and succeed if you're there. And again, I'm just going to go through it, guys. Here's an order. The worst teams in the league last year in turnover ratio. And you'll see something common with all these teams. They all stunk. And none of them are in the playoffs. The Giants, the Chargers, the Panthers, the Bengals, the Bucks, the Dolphins, the Browns, the Falcons, the Lions, the Jets, so that was me going through right there, 10 teams, the bottom 10 in the league, not one of them were a playoff team until you get to the Eagles at 22 and they just squeaked in. And after that, by the way, you have Oakland, no, Jacksonville, no, Dallas, no, Arizona, no, Rams, no. So you're looking at every single one of the bottom half teams in the league in this category in turnover differential did not make the playoffs except for one Everyone negative one or worse except for one failed to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Only the Eagles. So you got to get close to even in that category. And, yeah, you can improve your takeaways a little bit. I think takeaways can be random sometimes. I think it's hard to generate those sure. through scheme. But yeah. you can protect the ball. So you got to get your giveaways down from 33 last year into that 23-ish. I'm not asking you to cut it in half. I'm asking you to cut it by a third. 
to put you into the middle of the league. And I think that will give a team a chance to succeed. So those are the two things I'm looking at. You you can really marry that particular item to what I said, John, because when you give the ball away a whole lot, that means you're lessening your possessions, giving more to the other team, which enhances the chances that they're going to have a lot more points scored against you. Well, yeah, and you're getting a good field position, right? So Exactly. So, I mean, in a way, we're, we're kind of talking about the same thing. Well, they're all complementary. They all go hand in hand because you can't just talk about one facet, correct, without discussing the others. Yeah. The other thing I'll point out with respect to some of those numbers, and I would say I think the emphasis should be more, John, as you pointed out, with respect to cutting down the giveaways as opposed to maybe finding ways to get those takeaways up to astronomical numbers because that's going to fluctuate. But just to give you an idea, the Giants had 19 turnovers in 2018. That skyrocketed to 33. That's a sizable difference if you just want to compare one season to the other. It almost doubled. Yeah. So, you know, that could be controlled much more so than with respect to the takeaways, which went down because the Giants actually had 21 takeaways in 2018. And then you're talking about it going into the department of 16 16 in 2019. So, you know, that didn't necessarily differentiate much. But, boy, 19 to 33. Wow. Uh, that is something that has and, to be and, getting under control. Yeah, and Paul, I want to bring this up real quick, just to the Lance's takeaway point. Look, I think we all expect the Giants to play a ton of man-to-man defense this year, right? Mm-hmm. Based on Patrick Graham. Teams that play a lot of man-to-man defense, generally speaking, now the Patriots were an exception last year. They had 36, all right? But they also have one of the most talented defensive backfields in the league. Generally, teams that play a lot of man-to-man defense don't get a ton of interceptions. It's just the nature of, of the beast mm-hmm. there. So... It's going to be all about eliminating those giveaways. I will ask both of you this, and it's an offshoot to the statement that you know you just made, Lance, and it would be here. If you were going to have a significant imbalance one way or the other, which way would you like it? Would you like to have very, very few offensive giveaways, or would you rather have very many defensive takeaways? I Which would, one would you rather have? I would prefer to have fewer giveaways. So would I. And yeah. and it's not necessarily because of how it would affect the game. If you have fewer giveaways, that means your second-year quarterback's playing better. And even more so than the Giants' record this year, that's, to me, the most important thing that this season's going to tell you. What kind of progress that Daniel Jones is going to make. And I think if you get those giveaways down, that means he's playing better, which is really the whole ball game, right? Uh, I agree with you, and I'll give you a second reason to pile on top of the one that you just gave, and that is if your offense is holding on to the ball, they can control the tempo and the flow of the game. They can slow the game down. They can create less possessions, and that means also that Jason Garrett can use a lot of that running game that he wants to use. And if the Giants are dictating how games are going to go because they're controlling the ball a hell of a lot more, they've got a better chance to win. Well, it's more at-bats, as I like to say, opportunities if you're not turning the ball over as much, and also you're taking pressure off of the defense. Because, see, here's the thing. If you were to say, well, if you have a lot of takeaways, opportunistic plays, that's good for your offense, my counter to that, guys, would be, yeah, but it depends on what your offense does with that. See, takeaways are great, but if you're settling for field goals and you're not turning that field position into touchdowns, to me, it sort of counters one another. At least if I have fewer giveaways, I'm, to me, helping more 
more facets of my team and I'm also not hurting myself. So that's why, to me, the easy answer is fewer giveaways, more so than hoping and crossing your fingers that you're going to have an increase in takeaways. Well, so it's a sweep. Yeah, and, and I'll, throw, <laughs> I'll throw it on top of this, guys. Like, the last thing you want to do is put this defense into, into bad spots. I mean, no doubt. That, that no you doubt. cannot afford that this year, given what we're looking at. Okay, question number two, and I guess this is somewhat related. I'm sure someone will go in this direction. I won't. I'll go first on this one. Where do you want to see Daniel Jones make the biggest jump and improvement in 2020? And, you know, next week at some point, I did a little Daniel Jones study. It'll go up on the website. The big thing for me is quicker decisions and getting rid of the ball faster. If you take a look at Jones last year when he got into the most trouble, I won't go into all the details because it's a lot of numbers and it's going to make people's heads spin. But when he held the ball longer, bad things happened. When he tried to do too much, holding the ball longer, third and longs, things like that, bad things tended to happen. And I think the quicker he gets rid of the ball, uh, there'll be fewer sacks, fewer pressure, fewer fumbles, and there'll be fewer interceptions because he's making quicker decisions. And I think that can naturally happen with a young quarterback as he sees more defenses in his second year and as he gets more and more experience. So uh, for me, that's where I'm looking for Jones to to, to make the biggest jump in, in this year. It's kind of just making quicker and better decisions. I can get into more of that as you guys give your answers. Lance, let's go you second this time. Well, I think decision-making to me as a whole subject, the whole label is the place to go. I mean, you were more more specific, John, in terms of your classification about getting rid of the football perhaps a little bit quicker. A ball security certainly falls under that umbrella. I know that's stating the obvious, but let's face it. If you cough up the ball 18 times, you lose 11 of them. That goes right into turnover differential. And no matter what you say about Daniel Jones's performance last year, and there were a lot of positives, the completion percentage, the touch down to interception ratio it's hard to have a fair conversation about Daniel Jones without not bringing up the ball security the fumbles on top of the 12 interceptions so 33 giveaways 23 of which Daniel Jones accounted for and yes I know people are going to say well you know there was the throw in the Lions game that Devon Kennard returned for a touchdown and it was more of Saquon Barkley not covering up the ball yes I mean we could sit here and overanalyze every single fumble the bottom line is as a whole the number was too high and you're killing your offense. So I would say it's hard for me to go in any other direction other than good decision-making slash ball security has to be the area that he makes the most significant jump from 2019 to 20. I think it's a good choice. Paul? Well, for me, it's going to be the the tempo and the processing, uh, which is really the same type of thing that you're talking about. I think the ball security is going to come once he learns how to process things quicker, because once everything speeds up for him, whether it's the, the decision making or the physical movements that he does well, in you the know, pocket, it, it, Paul, the anticipation. I think the game has to slow down for him, which will make his play speed up. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and 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 that that's what they they call it the game slowing down. But what it really is is you're making you're right. you're anticipating a lot faster. Your intuition's a lot faster, right. and that's why they say games slow so, down. And I think that lends to the point I made, too, right? That will help him get rid of the ball quicker. Right. Now, I, I did a, a, a full video analysis of every one of his 18 fumbles last year, okay? And and I went through this during, uh, during a BBK probably about a month or two ago. And basically, by doing the video analysis on each one of his fumbles, I categorized every single fumble and exactly what it is that went wrong on every fumble. So, for example, I can tell you that three of his 18 fumbles were when he was a runner, okay? Those are going to happen. 
because he's a quarterback. He's not a running back. He's not a tight end. He's not a wide receiver. So when a quarterback is running with the ball and he's running around doing something with it, trying to gain yardage or just trying to run to the sideline, those fumbles are going to happen. That's not about processing necessarily. 100%. Okay? But then when you talk about the other things, okay, now we're talking about throwing from the pocket, blindside strip, okay? I have here one, two, three, four, five, six of his fumbles were done on blindside strips, okay? One, two, three, four, four of his fumbles were blindside strips as he was actually throwing the ball. That's correct. Now, if he is able to process and even get that ball out I don't know, 0.8 seconds earlier, Paul, maybe those strips don't happen. Hey, cut them down. Try 0.2 seconds. I mean, okay. we're not yeah, talking right? even 0.8. 0.8's a lot. You're talking 0.2, 0.3. I mean, you're okay. talking a tenth of a second. No question. Now, to break down the fumbles even further, there was one fumble of the 18 that was a backwards pass in Detroit. Yep. So let's not let's not kill him on that one and there, because and that's a crazy fluky play. And there were two fumbled snaps, by the way, too. Yes. There's a, there's a fumbled snap, a drop shotgun snap against the Jets. Okay. One against the uh, Eagles was the same. They didn't want it against the Eagles late in the year. Eagles was a muff shotgun snap. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then it was punched out of his hand. Yep. Okay. So when you start to take the 18 fumbles and break down the video analysis of each one of the fumbles, you realize that it wasn't as damning as a lot of people want to make it out to be. There certainly are a percentage of these that I used to go up to uh, to Coach Shula, uh, Mike Shula, who was the you know obviously the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach last year, and I'd say, Mike, look, I know you don't like any turnovers and you don't you don't like fumbles or picks. I get it from the quarterback's position in particular, but there are turnovers that are bad. There's such a thing as a bad fumble, and then there's an understandable fumble. And he goes, No, no, we always say turnovers are bad. All turnovers are bad. And I said, yeah, but Mike, I got to disagree with you on that because there there have to be reasons for those particular fumbles or those particular picks. And if there is logic behind it and the other team just made a play, well, you know what they say. They get paid too. Sometimes they just made a play. You know, Paul, or, yeah, I'm going to finish up. I'm sorry. Well, and then that's my – and, and, and it, you know, we talk about it all the time with interceptions, Right. We talk about how how can you blame a quarterback for a pick when a receiver ran the wrong route and the ball gets intercepted because it looks like he threw it right to the defender. Or when a receiver tips a ball up and it gets intercepted and we say, well, it doesn't show up in the stats, but that really wasn't a pick on the quarterback. That was the receiver's fault. So we're willing to quantify the quality of the turnover, if you will, for interceptions. But nobody ever quantifies the quality of the turnover on a quarterback's fumble. And that's what I attempted to do when I did this uh, video analysis of every one of his fumbles, probably about, I don't know, it was right after the season. And and I, I made up a whole chart with all this stuff on it. And it's very specific. And when I did that, I said, you know what? Daniel Jones doesn't have that far to go to fix this because a bunch of his fumbles were non-quality fumbles. Yeah, I got a couple... Charlie doesn't want to hear that, though. Yeah, I, I got a couple things to add to that. Because, well, I did the same thing. I watched every one of his turnovers last year, um, Paul. And yeah. I, I think you're right. Um, and that's why, from the end of the season, you guys know this, I've always said the fumbles aren't a huge worry for me. I'm more worried about the interceptions. So, uh, first thing on the fumbles, I think you're right. 
nearly entirely, Paul. And just to give you a, another analysis of it, Pro Football Focus tracks what they call turnover-worthy plays, right? Plays mm-hmm. that they say, you know, and for those plays, for a quarterback, they might take away an interception if, to your point, it's like a tip pass and it's not their fault. Or they'll take away a fumble if they don't think it's the quarterback's fault. But they'll add, say, like a dropped interception. Because it should have been a pick, but the guy just drops it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how they qualify their turnover-worthy plays. And I talked about this with one of their data guys that's going to be on the John Tuttle next week, George Shakruri. And they had Jones for 31 turnover-worthy plays last year. Mm-hmm. It was the third most in the league. Jameis Winston had more, and Kyle Allen had more. Those are the only two players at more. Here's the interesting part. Only 10 of those 31 plays were fumbles. They had eight of his fumbles that they classified not his fault. There because either the rush got there too quick Blind or side. it was, yeah. you know, while he's releasing it, Chandler Jones on one play, right? He reaches in and, and kind of tips the ball away. So not just you, Paul. Other people have kind of come to that same type of conclusion. And of those 10, by the way, three were those running plays you were talking about. It was the one against Dallas earlier in the year, mm-hmm. one against Dallas later in the mm-hmm. year, and one against Washington later mm-hmm. in the year. All three plays were on third downs, by the way, where Jones decided, okay, well... Gotta do something. Well, yeah, but sometimes sliding and surviving is better Mm -hmm. than trying to do something and fumbling. Or take the hit, yeah. Right. So I think that's something he can improve on, too. Two of those were the fumble snaps, the, the fumble snap and the muff snap you talked about. So only four were plays where it really had bad ball security in the pocket, right? So... To your point, I don't think his fumbling is as big of a problem as people make it out to be. Now, here's the other part of it, though. That means he had 21 plays that were either interceptions or balls that should have been intercepted but dropped. I thought one of the ones they qualified in that against the Vikings was a little bit iffy. So I'll put it at 20, let's say. And I do think, to your point, Paul, that's something that Jones will have to improve on. And I think there's a couple ways he can do it. One... There are two ways to classify aggression. One is how much you throw down the field. I think Jones can maybe throw deeper a little bit more often. The other way you classify aggression is how often do you throw into contested areas. And I thought Jones was far too aggressive last year trying to squeeze the ball into small areas where there wasn't a ton of space to get the ball. Now, the result of that is a lot of spectacular throws. You're like, oh my goodness, what a throw, small area, great pass. <laughs> but if that if that turns into an eight-yard gain, is that worth the risk of that play turning into an interception? Probably right. not, right? So this is kind of the point that I like to make with Jones. If you look at Jones's highlight tape and just his good plays, you think this guy can be an all-pro quarterback. But mm-hmm. then if you go look at his like 30 worst plays of the year, you're going to say, boy, this guy can't play. So he needs to just find a better equilibrium and a balance, I think, between his aggression and trying to do too much to saying, okay, we'll punt here. That's okay. <laughs> okay, and, and that's fair, John. And I, and I think to your point there, I also want to add another component to this, and it goes back to something we just said a little while ago about how do you blame the quality of the interceptions. The Giants don't have guys who really are very good at getting 50-50 balls, okay? They've got a, a rather short uh, wide receiving core. They don't have any plexical burrises on, on this team, 
Okay, I know you're going to say that Ingram is a tall tight end. I get that. No, you're right, though. They don't. You're right. But they don't, okay? Eli was such a beneficiary of being able to throw that ball to the sideline and knowing that Toomer was going to make a play. He knew that anywhere he threw the ball up in the air, the Plex was going to go up and get it because he was going to reach outside the box. And as Dan Reeves taught me many years ago, making plays above the X's and the O's. That's when I first heard that statement, and Dan was 1,000% correct. You need guys who will do that. The Giants don't have, and even Odell Beck, Beckham Jr., who made a bunch of athletic, spectacular catches, was not consistently good at making 50-50 balls when he had to fight defensive backs to make a play. And that's something that would help uh, uh, Daniel Jones' numbers dramatically. And I, and I, I, I add one other thing to this fumble situation. Last year, he had uh, one, two, three, three fumbles where the ball came out of his right hand just as he was trying to tuck it away because he was a split second too late. And that goes into that other category, John, where we talked about throwing motion, where the ball's getting knocked out as he's throwing it. Same situation. Ball was getting was getting knocked out of his hand as he was trying to tuck. If you're a split second faster on either the tuck or the throw, those fumbles don't happen. And those are the ones that I think he's got to be able to clean up. Well, that goes back to fundamentals. I mean, all that's tied into decision-making, too. I'm not saying that that's not a valid reason, but it still goes back to Paul, the quarterback, and what he's doing in that moment and whether or not it's second nature, even if the timing is a little bit off, how you adjust. I mean, that's a big part of decision-making. The other thing that's in fairness to this conversation about analyzing interceptions, and I'll go back to that year. I forget which season it was, guys. Eli had a very high number of interceptions. At least six or seven of them were deflections. So I remember we always had conversations about, okay, yeah, Eli had a high interception rate, but in fairness, six or seven of them was a result of goes off a wide receiver's fingertip into the hands of another player and so forth. You have to tell the story of each turnover. In fairness, though, I think you also need to tell the story of every touchdown pass, guys, and we don't do that well, very often. Well, Len, by the part. way, let me throw in there, too, none of jo- Jones's interceptions came on tip balls last year. Correct. Just, just, just FYI, not one. So no, was, and I'm not bringing that up oh, to no, bring down that. his total. I know yeah. that. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the reason why I'm bringing up deflections is, let's go to the touchdowns, though, guys. The one to Golden Tate against the Patriots, if you remember, that was a ricochet pass, and then Golden Tate was in the right place at the right time to make the catch. Now, could that have been a turnover waiting to happen? Absolutely. My point is, wide receivers also help the quarterback in throws that weren't ideal, but turn out good. There they don't help that- them enough. They yeah. don't. They flat out don't. The Giants do not have a wide receiving core that helps out this quarterback as much as they need to. Well, they, they don't, don't have the tall guy that you're talking about. But hold on. You're going to say Golden Tate doesn't deserve credit for helping Daniel Jones against the Patriots on that play? One play. Okay. How many games did the guy play during now, the course of the season? In- how many times did he make a ball as opposed to uh, make a catch as opposed to how many times he didn't fight for one or didn't make a good catch that could have been made? Now, in Come fairness, on. I don't think I don't think those interceptions came on contested balls like that though on 50-50 balls. Paul, I, agree you you, it, I agree they, with you. I agree with that, they John. Didn't. I agree with that. I'm not suggesting that the interception numbers should be different. What I'm saying is that on the whole Daniel Jones, and this was quite also the case with Eli Manning during the last couple of years, he did not get the benefit of having a receiving core that consistently, consistently now, anybody can do it once every month. I'm talking about consistently, almost on a once a week basis, we saw a guy like Toomer or a guy like Burris help out Eli making a play that maybe should not have been made. 
And when you have that as a quarterback, things take on a whole new look. Well, they do. And that's why I was going to also get to another play, for example, against the Eagles, the second game in Philadelphia, the first game, excuse me, in Philadelphia, where Daniel Jones is passed to Darius Slayton all of a sudden turns into a home run touchdown. Now, I'm not saying there was anything wrong with the throw, but that's the player helping out his quarterback by forcing a missed tackle and sure. taking it to the house. So my point is there are things over the course of a season, if we look at most quarterbacks, there's going to be plus minus in the touchdown interception department where you can argue there are guys that didn't help out their quarterback, but then there's a number of plays across the board. I'm not just talking about Golden Tate, Paul. I'm talking mm -hmm. about the group as a whole that made plays that more often than not would not have resulted in a touchdown, but did because of the extra effort played by the wide receiver right. or the tight end. How about this? Let me put it this way, and maybe I can get both you guys to agree to this point. I do think that Jones probably has to be a little bit more accurate than other quarterbacks because the receivers don't have as large of a frame as maybe some other receiving box. They have a smaller do. box, John. Right. No, it's that simple. And, and, I, and I think that's fair. And I think when you look at some of his accuracy numbers, they do some of these advanced accuracy numbers, I do think those get hurt by the fact that these guys maybe have a little bit, and I'll, Lance doesn't like us taking shots at short guys, and I know that's the whole root of this whole thing. No, and, not at all. <laughs> but, that's you know, not the root. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, Daniel Jones, you know, I think does have to be a little bit more precise with some of his passes because he doesn't have those guys besides him yes. again with those gigantic frames. I, I think that's fair. That puts him back in the same category, to be perfectly frank with you, as Jeff Hostetler and Phil Sims years ago, which is when I became very sensitive to this issue because Phil was playing with guys like Bobby Johnson and Lionel Manuel, okay, Stacy Robinson. These guys were, were not. Any of these guys were amongst the taller half of receivers in the NFL. Bavaro was his number one target and his only 1,000-yard wide receiver because he happened to be a guy who had some size and had a box. And Phil could throw it across the middle because he knew Bavaro had an opportunity to get it. He didn't have the luxury of receivers who had the wide wingspan, the big radius, and the big box. I think that's why Austin Mack intrigues me so much this year, John, because Austin Mack has a 91 percentile in terms of his wingspan uh, from wide receivers coming into the draft. And even though he's only 6'2", because of his wingspan at 91 percent, that says to me he can play big with a large radius. It gives me a lot of hope for him. Well, he made some great sideline catches if you go back and you watch his film at Ohio State. But I think Benjamin Victor belongs in the conversation too, Paul. Because Understood. Because he actually is more fitting into what you're saying. If you go back to Victor's touchdowns at Ohio State, mm -hmm. every catch for the majority of the time was basically a jump ball and him just single-handedly beating out the corner. Sure. Or the safety that was on him. And that, I would argue, would be an extremely beneficial target for Daniel Jones. Also, let's not dismiss the fact that, you know, this goes back into to how many games did Daniel Jones have his entire arsenal of personnel on the field simultaneously? You know, that also impacts who his potential targets are sure. and whether or not he has extra guys that are going to fight for him. And the answer is none. He didn't have all five of his guys on the field at the same time for one snap last season. That's going to change, hopefully, the dynamics of this offense as well. And, you know, that, I think, has to be brought into the conversation. All right, you guys ready to get some calls? Let's cool. do it. All right, let's do it. 973-667-1960. Again, you can send in other questions to Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. Let's go to the calls. Caller, you're on the line. You're our first call of the show with Lance, Paul, and Schmelk. How are you? What's your name? Where are you calling from? 
Glenn from Florida. What's going on? Quick question. What do you think is the training camp going to look like this year because of no offseason? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. Hey, it's going to be a shocker. Yeah, look, I don't think, Christian, look, I, I don't think any of us knows. I mean, right now, we were having a conversation before we went on the air where we are like, oh, well, what's going to happen in a couple weeks? We don't know. I mean, I, I think there's going to be, let me put it this way. I think here's what we do know. There's going to be fewer padded practices than usual. You're going to have okay. a longer build-up period, which are more like a shortened versions of like OTAs and minicamp that are unpadded before you get to the padded practices. Uh, you're going to have fewer than four preseason games. Will it be two? Will it be one? Will it be zero? I don't think we know the answer to that yet. And I think that, you know, teams are going to have to figure out different ways to evaluate the back end of their roster because they're simply not going to have enough reps in games or practice to make those decisions like they have in other years. Next question for you guys. What about the guys who were just talking about, Benjamin Victor and Austin Mack, what are the chances of them possibly making the team? Paul, why don't you take that one? I know you've been looking at those guys a lot. Yeah, well, the thing about Benjamin Victor is his waistline is as thin as a toothpick, okay? And I I am a bit concerned about his durability. He is extremely wiry. He looks like a pipe cleaner out there when he's running his routes. And, And in the National Football League, a tall guy like that who's going to have a lot of surface area up and down to hit, uh, but does not have necessarily a lot of meat on his bones. Uh, there are concerns for me about how long he's going to be able to survive if he takes a bunch of big hits. He's going to have to be a guy for me who works a lot of sidelines and a lot of red zone stuff because if you throw him between the numbers, teams are going to be salivating to try to break him in half. So, so that would be an issue. I agree with Lance. I watched his tape. He did make a bunch of plays at Ohio State because there were mismatches all over the field. I think he can create those in the NFL. I think my feeling is uh, that he is not the all-around athlete that Mac is. I don't see it. I think Mac is a much better all-around receiver who could play all three positions, uh, X, Y, and Z. I don't think Victor is that player. But I think he's intriguing enough that I'd like to see him on the practice squad. And there were some plays at Ohio State where they threw a short pass to Victor, and he ran all the way up the sideline for 50 yards, took a Mm -hmm. hit, and then got into the end zone. So, you know, I would not just classify him, and I'm not saying you are, Paul, as just a red zone target. I do think there may be some questions about durability. I mean, we think of some of the other taller wide receivers that the Giants have had, and, you know, sometimes they didn't necessarily pan out because maybe their lack of versatility. But I would say the larger question pertaining to do guys who are undrafted have a legitimate shot to make the roster this season or even across the board in the NFL, I think it's going to be challenging. I think their best hope, and this may be the silver lining for a lot of undrafted guys, if the practice squad does expand to 16 as we're anticipating, then I think a lot of these guys who hopefully will pass through waivers will wind up back with the team because they've spent the entire offseason learning the system remotely and then maybe little by little as the season takes place and there's injuries or the virus, they'll actually have an opportunity to make some type of a statement or contribution to the team. But I think it's going to be very tough sledding because I think with limited on-field work, with no rookie minicamp, which is an opportunity for a lot of these guys to stand out and maybe perhaps give the coaches a reason to hold on to them, I think overall it's going to be very difficult for undrafted rookies to make the final 53. But I think if the practice squad is expanded, that's going to be their opportunity to maybe stay on a roster and slowly work their way up. 
Okay, thank you guys very much. Thank you and for the call. Good weekend. Yeah, you too. By, by the way, John, uh, Victor's Victor's arm length is ninety uh, six percentile. Obviously, it's six foot four. He's a very tall guy <laughs> and has arms to match. Yeah. So there's little question about his ability to expand the box. No question. All right, we got another call coming right in. So let's bring him up. Caller, you're on the air with the Tino Lance and Schmelk. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Yeah, Len from Columbia, Maryland. Hey, Len. How you doing, guys? What's up? Hi. Good. Um, trying to stay on top. On topic, at least for the first uh, 20 minutes of your of the show, I lost you for about 15 minutes. So I don't know where you've been recently. Um, you know, one one vital part on offense and one vital uh, actually two on offense and one on one on defense. Real quickly, um, I think it's important um, to maintain ball control. I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at time of possession. To me, it it just drives everything. Um, you know, where you might be punting from, how close you get to the goal line to score, whether it's a field goal or whether they actually get it in the end zone. So for the first time in a couple of years, um, I would like to see the Giants win that time of possession battle. And, you know, maybe we're not kicking from the 30, we're kicking from the 45. The opposition's got to take the ball 80 yards instead of 65 yards. Um, and I'm, I'm putting the onus on the offense to drive that time of possession. You know, one or two more first downs per drive before you punt or move yourself into scoring position. Touchdowns are better than field goals. And no turnovers, and, Len. If you have turnovers, your time of possession goes away real fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all, you know, it's all tied together, John. Of course. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's all tied together. But the, the other thing I like, and I, I've been saying this for a while, uh, you know, if we get the ball ten times, I want to score five. I know Lance is going to tell me, well, if you're scoring field goals, that's not, you know, you got to, what type of score do you want? But I, I want to be scoring 50% of the time we get the ball. Now, I'd like it all to be touchdowns. You know, if we get 11 possessions, I want six scores. Um, so, you know, we got to be putting point, continue to put points on the board. And, again, I'm, Lance, I'm hoping some of those are going to be touchdowns, obviously. Well, Len, I, I know you always are a stickler for time of possession. The bottom line is Kansas City was 19th in the NFL last year. They held I the know. ball for under 30 minutes a game. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. my response to time of possession is if you're a home run offense and you score in two plays, hey, great. The bottom line is you're putting points on the board. You hold the ball for 35 minutes yeah. and you score three field okay. goals. To me, it's irrelevant. So okay. I'm not too caught up in time of possession. Okay. And if the whole strategy is, well, we get an extra first down so we could punt from a better position on the field, well, I would say then improve your special team so you have guys that get down the field and make tackles. There's ways to get around that as opposed to just clock management. I want to add this very quickly, and I think – I think time of possession is more a product of how the team is playing than a cause. You know what I mean? I think the reason why the eventual time of possession stat might be important is because it shows – that the defense is getting off the field a little bit better. Yeah. It shows that you're able to run the ball consistently with Barkley. So I think the time of possession isn't necessarily the goal. I think the time of possession is the result of your team doing some things well that you're trying to do, if you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, 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 I do, I do. Let me, let me just respond to, to Lance and say, look, Lance, it, it's hard to argue with anything that you said. I mean, I get it. I'm just coming at you from my point of view on this particular subject. And I think if we win that time of possession, we're going to be in a position to win football games better than if we're losing that time of possession. Let me, let me move to defense real quick. Um, defensive backfield. I love the Bradbury pickup. I think that's a major improvement. 
I'm worried about the other side. You know, Baker's an unknown. You know, he's got problems. And I'm not a big Beal fan for a lot of reasons. So, as I said the last time we talked, I'm looking at Ballantyne. Big step forward. I think he's going to be he's going to be key to this defense, and we're going to need help at that corner spot. And I'm, I'm hoping that Ballantyne can be just be a just a you know that once every ten years sixth round pick who who comes in and excels. I'm not talking about a Pro Bowl level, a guy who can stay on the field for three downs. Land, and, of course, and of course, you know the slot position is a weakness. Hopefully, Holmes comes up, and and we got the rookie safety. You know. Um, we we got to hope this guy is like is it is it James from I want to say San Diego it's not San Diego Los Angeles you know the safety from yep. last mm-hmm. year the rookie safety I mm-hmm. mean you know if we could if we can get something near that kind of play out of that safety position uh, that that's the key for me on the defensive side of the board. Um, what, what do you think on the defensive side? We've talked the offense. Yeah, Len, look, I, I think you hit it on the head. The, the Giants need two cornerbacks to step up and become quality yeah. starters. A guy to play outside Paul and a guy to play the slot. They need yeah. two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally agree. And, yeah. and right now they've got some candidates, which is better than not having any. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. yeah, they have well, guys yeah. on the yeah. roster. Something Congratulations. No, no, again, <laughs> I, I, I like to tell you guys all the time, there are guys who gain positions on the roster by default because you have nobody else. Right. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I think that we have seen, and I mentioned this on yesterday's show, Len, you might have been the caller who I, who I answered to, there have been guys who have taken up the last five or six spots, seven, eight spots on this roster by default over the last decade, a number of different years. Yeah, I'm not so sure that we'll have more than two or yeah. three of those this yeah. year because I, I so. think the competition is better. Yeah, right, I, would, finish I, would, I was not the call of Paul, but I remember you saying that yesterday. I remember you saying that. And, you know, just kind of a real dark horse here, the, the kid from Hampton, is it, is it Argulo, the un, undrafted free agent? I like the size on that kid, six one, one ninety five. He's. Uh, I think he. I think he may have transferred to Hampton from, from Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Have I got that right? Yep. Yeah, I think that's right. I. I think that kid, Paulie. I think he's. He's the. You know, he's that. He's that fifth corner, and I'm. I'm, I'm hoping that all works out. So, hey, it may be a season based on hope, but. You know, like I said recently, I think we're going 9-7. and seven. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Have a great weekend, Thank guys. Thank you, Len. You too, buddy. Hi, Len. Stay Bye. safe. The other guy I'll throw out there, too, and nobody talks about him, is Montre Hardage. He's a guy mm-hmm. that was an undrafted free agent with the Dolphins last year and kind of was up and down their practice squad with Patrick Graham, so he knows the type of defense he wants to play. Yep. Uh, they were willing to call on him and play him when they needed a corner. Uh, he's at a Northwestern, a, you know, a, a legit Big Ten program. I think he's a guy, too, that is going to get a chance here to at least compete with those other guys at that outside cornerback spot. I think he's a guy not a lot of people are talking about, but I think he's yeah. got a shot. Yeah, because he knows the defense, and he has some NFL experience, yeah. too, compared mm-hmm. to the other player that Len threw out. And once again, that would just fall under the umbrella of what I was talking about earlier with undrafted players or players that just haven't had a lot of on-field work. We can hype them up all you want, but I think they're at a disadvantage. Hart- Hartage has been on an NFL field. Graham knows what he could get out of him. There's the knowledge factor. So I would agree with you, John. I think he certainly has a leg up. But, you know, getting back to the secondary as a whole, James Bradbury could cover only one side of the field. So somebody else has to be an answer on the opposite side of the field. And as far as the safety position is concerned, 
if McKinney turns out to be Derwin James, who Len was referring to, I think the Giants would sign up for that and be oh, very yes. happy with that. Oh, okay. yes. Yeah. No oh, doubt yes. about it. Now, oh, yes. keep in mind, though, Derwin James had a hell of a season in 2018 when he was a rookie. He fell to 17th in the draft. But last year, he was plagued by injuries. Derwin James did not play a lot. Now, mm-hmm. so you, you really want to see what Derwin James does in 2020 to hope that 18 wasn't just a flash. Hey, nobody knows about me. Now let's see him build off of that. So the jury is still out, in all honesty, with Derwin James. But You think the, the Giants impact- care how James plays? No, they care about how McKinney plays. Of course, but I'm making so the what, parallel. So why is that relevant? Though. Well, Go because ahead. what I'm saying is is that one <laughs> season, you, you didn't draft McKinney to flash for a rookie year. You drafted McKinney oh, no. to You're be right. a staple in the secondary no for years to come. That's my major point. Paul, you got to let me finish the point okay. before you jump I'm sorry. I'm Jeez sorry. Louise. Okay? I love hearing you guys bicker. It, it, it is like Oscar and Felix. It is really, really funny. Well, I just, I just try to save him from going down the road where the bridge is out. That's all. I'm always going to find a way to get my swimmies back on to keep okay. myself afloat. Okay? Good for Once you. Once again, you're under- Underestimating me, okay? All right? Kermit the Frog, okay, is always on my side, okay? Very good. Very good. Go. All good. right, let's go back to the phones at 973-667-1960. What's your name? Where are you calling from? It's Charlie from Portland, Maine. Oh, Hi, Charlie. Guys. Hello, Charlie. <laughs> hey, Lance. I, I mean, Len was making a really good point about time of possession. Do you really think the New York Giants offense is going to be as prolific as Kansas City with Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill. No, they're not. We're going to have to run the ball, and if we run the ball, we need to have the time of possession. Okay, and the Dallas Cowboys, hold on a minute here, Charlie. Okay, the Dallas Cowboys were 18th in time of possession last year, which was one spot in front of Kansas City. The Cowboys did run the football and did it effectively with Ezekiel Elliott, who's been one of the most consistent running backs in the NFL. And yet the Cowboys still finished 8-8 on the season. Why? Because they had other shortcomings, such as the defensive side of the ball. I've heard these arguments before, and in no ways was I saying that the Giants were going to model the Kansas City school of thought. My point is time of possession is not the first thing I turn to to say, hey, successful season, okay. job well done, let's milk the clock. It's what you well, do then, with the possession, not right. how long you hold on to the ball. It's very similar to the draft and my philosophy of people talking about you got to collect volume of picks. you got to get as many picks as you want. Okay, well, what did you do with those picks? Cleveland has had volume of picks year in and year out. <laughs> and how many first-round picks have the Browns had, Charlie, that are no longer on the roster and no longer contributing? So I'm tired of this volume argument. Look at the clock and have it tick away and hold on to the ball. That's why I completely disagree with that. Point. Well, you, Lance, you should never use Kansas City as an example. You I just use used Dallas. Dallas as an example then. Yeah, you just did now because I called you out on it. That's no, you didn't. First of all, you didn't call me out on it. Okay, no, no, no. Hold on. This is not Crown Charlie on Big Blue Kickoff Live today. Give me a break. Hold on. No, 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 no. If you think you're going to call oh, in and take control of this show, I'm not falling for it, okay? Oh, all right? If you wanted me to throw out other examples, oh, you tweeted God. me before the show. I'll give you 15 more examples, Charlie. Well, I don't need 15 more examples. I had another point, too. That's okay, Lance. I was just bringing out Len's point and my point of what kind of team we have. We don't have Kansas City. And I wasn't comparing the Giants to Kansas City. I was using the Chiefs as an example of why time of possession doesn't have a great deal of stock behind it. Charlie, get to your next point, Charlie. I want to get more callers in. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're talking about having a tall, wide receiver, especially Paul. Well, there's two guys out there. Now, they get 50-50 balls. Why don't we give them an opportunity? Garrett knows both of them. 
or at least Judd knows one of them, and oh, that's no. Gordon, and we got Des Bryant uh, out there. Take a chance. Why not? Why not? Oh. They would be cheap. They wouldn't cost a lot of money. Now, Gordon has had issues with, I think, pretty much marijuana. That whole thing has changed. It's not going to be the same anymore. So if he is straightened out a little bit and Des Bryant can actually play again, at least find out if he can, there's two guys that's going to give you that 50-50 ball and help Daniel Jones out. And your biggest question was, just one thing, Daniel Jones has to get a lot better for this team to succeed. He has to get a lot better. He is the focus. Of course. He is the point. The quarterback's you always know? the focus, Charlie. No one would argue with that. That's fair. <laughs> no one's going to argue that point. 100%. All right, Paul. There's Bryant, Josh Gordon. Let's bring him in, right? You're on board? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You will, drive the, you will drive the bus from the airport. The, uh... the Tino's right. Didito's got his face shield on, his mask on. He's going to get in his car. He's going to the mm-hmm. airport. He's going to pick him up. He's going to give him the lowdown. And, he's and, ta- make and take him... them from Newark to Kennedy. <laughs> okay? That's what I'm doing, John. I'm taking them from Newark to Kennedy. And they're not stopping. I actually, Des Bryant or Josh Gordon, if you wanted to experiment with them, I don't think it's a terrible idea. But here's why I would counter against it. It's more so, guys, and I'm curious your thoughts, too. We're talking about the Giants building something on offense, especially with a new scheme and a new coaching staff. And if you want to develop the youth on your team, you want to give the youth as many reps and opportunities as humanly possible. To borrow or rent a guy, for the lack of a better term, for a year, I just don't understand how that helps the growth of your offense and the growth of your team. And no disrespect to Des Bryant or Josh Gordon, but I don't see, even if the Giants bring them in, as long-term options within the offense compared to other players that are currently here. So does it hurt you in the long run, or does it actually help you? in the long run. My argument would be it basically buys you perhaps a little wiggle room in the short term and nothing more than that. So therefore, I don't really see it being extremely beneficial. Well, in the short term, what if either one of those guys were to come in here and influence some other guys in the locker room that you did not want influenced in that way? Then you could have long-term effects that would be negative. Well, so then you basically are piggybacking off my point is what I'm saying. So you're looking at it more. I'm not just, I'm just saying it. A di- I'm just saying yeah. it a different way. That's all. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that. I told you, Lance. We agree more than you think. I never made a claim that we disagree, <laughs> and I'm not keeping points at home. So you don't have to defend yourself, Paul, against me. Listen, no the defense. Court of public opinion could feel as much as they want. I am. I'm not here to be sold mm. on this program. Don't worry. Anyway, I don't think any of us want those guys, so we can just move on. Nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty. We have another caller on the line. Rapid mm. fire here. Hopefully we'll see if this is a newbie or not. Caller, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, my name is Ricky. I'm from Long Island. Ricky, uh, thanks for calling up. What's up? And John, um, first time with you guys. I've actually spoken to Paul, and it happens Dave Deal twice. Great. What's going um, on? So, real quick, I mean, I, I hear Charlie. Um, we have uh, guys who are much cheaper that are big, that could fill a bigger role. Um, I wouldn't pay a veteran to come in right now because you have other things you would need to spend your money on first, I think. <laughs> um, as far as the, the Derwin James thing, Derwin James is like physical and hits hard and comes down on the line, and I don't really want to see McKinney doing that. Um, I want him more back off the ball, uh, playing more center field, kind of Manning Manning being the, the better safety coverage guy. Um, that was I heard those two callers, so I just wanted to comment on that. 
What if they um, play three safeties, which I don't think is out of the question that Patrick Graham would employ some of that in his scheme, and you have Love, McKinney, and Peppers all on the field at the same time. Now, Wouldn't you want Love to be the center fielder? Paul, how would you no. use the three safeties, though? Would you put one in the slot, or would you have one be working as almost like a linebacker? Well, I think it depends on the matchup once again. The, the matchup is going to dictate if you would want to tinker with that type of scheme or that type of alignment. And by the and, way, and I, it depends I'm, on who you're facing. And I'll agree with Rick. In that alignment, I think I want McKinney as my center fielder. Yeah. Well, I think you could actually do both of what you guys just said. Um, I think Peppers, if you wanted a, a guy more in the in the box as like a linebacker hybrid, but more of a coverage, you know, you're not worried so much about his weight, and you want him more, you know, shoot, you know, run and hit, as John likes to say. Um, I think you could do that with Peppers. I think Love played good um, in Peppers' stead, doing similar things that Peppers was doing. So I think if you went three uh, safeties, if anything, you might. You might be running two off ball. You might be running two on ball, and then and then you have Love and Peppers in the slots on either side. You know that I don't think that would be bad. The chameleon approach allows you to yep. tinker on a week to week basis, even on a quarter to quarter or half to half basis, yeah. and that's why I think the Giants are trying to give Patrick Graham as many options as they possibly can. They don't want to inhibit his creativity. And by the way, I agree. I think either Love or McKinney could be the center fielder in those circumstances. Well, and I also think part of McKinney's appeal is how he was utilized at Alabama and the fact that they did tap into his versatility. So, you know, even if you go with those three and you say, well, McKinney should be the center fielder, I don't want it to become as predictable to opposing Mm -hmm. offenses. So I still think it's important to move a guy like McKinney around and take your chances with bringing him up near the line of scrimmage because he clearly has the ability to get after the quarterback. So I don't want to take that weapon away from him just because I'm worried about preserving his health when, let's face it, anybody can get hurt on any given circumstance no matter where you line them up. True. I got a, I got one other thing, and I'll take your your answers, I guess, off the air on this. Sure. Um, I just wanted to be positive. Everybody, you know, I, I think if you look at the offense, you, you're not really as concerned, especially with all the competition they brought in along the offensive line, um, whether through the draft or Fleming or – um, I mean, you know, Hernandez and Zeitler are both the starters, but you could argue there's there's battles even there. You have guys who could play if guys go down. So I don't really want to talk even about that. I think our offense is actually pretty okay minus the, the skyscraper. But on, on defense, I feel like some guys are underrated uh, in terms of what we have and, and you know, where, where we could go from here. I think that, uh, first of all, Peppers, everybody – in the, you know, like the NFL community seems to like to undersell Peppers. I mean, Peppers ran a guy down, I think it was Cooks, um, if I'm not mistaken, at the goal line and forced a fumble. Um, that's hustle like you don't see every day. Um, he also had a pick six, if I'm not mistaken, last year. Connolly was in the right spots while he was playing. He, he wasn't maybe the direct cause, but he was, he was still coming. Uh, and I saw college tape. I love how he plays. He reminds me of he, he, the guy – the guy will just destroy two offensive linemen or an alignment and a fullback. Not that he's going to make the play, but he'll just blow the play up if he can't make the play. Um, you know, edge guys need to show something this year. Um, I think the the guys who are still on rookie deals and and people got to you know not forget you bring in Williams while you don't have a pass rusher that's getting paid. If you sign Williams, I know we're not going to talk about money and stuff right now, but if you sign Williams and then. You have Tomlinson coming up on a contract and Dexter Lawrence on a rookie deal. Before you have to pay the pass rusher, you might have a little space to pay those two tackles. And, I mean, who, who's who got a better trio in theory right now than Tomlinson, Williams, and Lawrence as your three inside guys? And some of them can play outside, too. So I just think the defense is a little undersold. I like Bradbury coming in. I think Bradbury coming in 
gives you that corner that will mirror in a more man defense uh, the bigger receivers. I don't think he's there. People like to say, you know, the other two – technically the other two corner spots are wide open. We have no idea. But if anything, if I'm watching the Giants defense, I expect Bradbury to kind of shadow the bigger receivers, the six-foot-plus receivers, sure. and not, yeah. you know, not so much be, you know, locked to one side as, as instead following a certain type of receiver. Ricky, I hear you. Thanks for the call, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, Good guys. Stuff. Hey, look, and here's why I would look at it. I think he hit it on the head in terms of the interior defensive line, and I think it's a great group. You know, whether or not you can pay, you know, all three of those guys at some point, I don't know. I think it's tough. But I think it comes down to two things. And, guys, we have one more call, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. But to Lance's point when he made his X factor, who's rushing the passer outside? And then you can have one really good corner. If the other two cornerbacks aren't any good, do you know how important that one really good corner is? Not very. Is of course. Just, because they're just going to throw it at the other receivers. Yeah. So well, that, that's the trick. It's not just one guy in, the, in a cornerback. You need two, three, or four. 100%, John. And that's why, I mean, I think the caller brought up a good point, but I wasn't focusing so much on Bradbury putting him on one side. Even if you man him up with the opposing best wide receiver, look at what Dallas did to the Giants secondary in week one last year. It wasn't just Amari Cooper. It was Michael Gallup. It was Blake Jarwin. So absolutely, it's what those guys, even if you match them up with the lesser receivers, whether or not they can win their man-on-man battles. I mean, that's going to be key and critical no matter who Bradbury is covering. We're not in an NFL where every team has just one good wide receiver. Most good teams have two, three, maybe even four weapons, including the running back, that you have to worry about catching the ball out of the backfield. So you need multiple guys that can cover. Makes no difference if you have one top corner. All right, let's squeeze in one more call. We're a little over, but we can right squeeze them in. Go ahead, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Kaiser from Yonkers. Kaiser! Long time, those speak. Long time, boys. <laughs> How are you? We're doing now, great, Now, I've got to ask an important question. Yes. So when you say, when you announce who you are there, you go Schmelk, Dettino, and then Lance. Is, it, is, it, is Lance ashamed mm. of the name Meadow? Or is it you guys are so proud of your, of your last names that Lance becomes just an afterthought? I mean, that's, that's something that been, I've been thinking about for a while now. Well, I, I think generally speaking, when, when we get addressed, people generally call me Schmelk. People generally call Paul Dettino. And or right, dots. Or dots, true. But I think generally people call Lance Lance, right? I, I thought it was Shorty. <laughs> or, See, or late for dinner. As long as they don't call him late for pot, dinner. That's the problem. Just don't call him late for dinner. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, I have a really important question. Oh, I'm sure. Clarify me. Yes. Okay, the long snapper situation this year. Nobody's mentioned it. Nobody's talked How about it. How do you call them about the long snapper when Fegels isn't on, Kaiser? You should be better than that. Come on. I understand. But, <laughs> but you know, I also want to know where the legacy of Zach Diossi will lay, okay, after this season. Well, I think that's a great question. And Paul Dettino hands all, handles all of our legacy questions. So, Paul, I think you could tackle that one. Well, you know, Corey Kreider from the Broncos, who came over as a free agent, is a or Paul Casey Bowl Kreider. Ca- but go ahead. Ca- yes, Casey. <laughs> yes. Very good. Very good. I'm, Thanks, I'm sorry. I, uh, yeah, I just disrespected him and his family. He did. Shame uh, on Cr- you. Kreider yes. is a Pro Bowl player, so I think the Giants are set and very happy to be able to get somebody after Zach gave this team a lot of years. And quite frankly, you know, he was banged up uh, at the end of his career. Now, Kaiser, you have to understand, not everybody can play forever. Yeah, I think we're all going to miss him, though, you know? Sure. sure we are. Good community guy, good family man, real, a real giant of legacy, his dad. I mean, think of it, a lot of history there. Mm, big time. And big he went time. to an Ivy League institution. Let's not forget about that. 
Well, I'll tell you, the three of you are keeping uh, keeping us all involved during this time, and uh, you guys are doing a smack-up hell of a job. Thank you, Kaiser. Stay Thank safe, you, my Kaiser. friend. Don't be a stranger. Be good. All right, we, I won't. Let's talk to you later. <laughs> all right, bye-bye. Kaiser and Yonkers. Should ask should ask Kaiser what people usually call him. <laughs> I don't know. Is this a PG-13 yeah, program or rated R? <laughs> oh, my. All right, good stuff, guys. Fun show. Absolutely. Very good. All right, we'll be back next week, guys. We're live again, but we're still on remote. Um, we're not going to be back doing video yet, so we're still going to be audio only, but live next week, every day, noon to one on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and, of course, all the archives go up on your favorite podcast platforms. For Dottino, for Meadow, for Schmelk, <laughs> we'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Stay safe. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Bye.